you know, I don't know uh, what it's like at all the other churches in town uh, in regards to music or singing or whatever. Uh, I feel like in many ways, man, we are unbelievably blessed to have what we have, the, the musicians we have and those singing, leading. But I will say uh, that what the reason I think uh, we've got it the best is because you sing. Uh, we, we gather together not just to listen to other people sing for us, but that we could sing of the praise of God, that we could sing uh, thinking of the throne room, that we could sing those unending praises, that we could sing the highest praise. And so when I look around the room Sunday after Sunday and I, I see you with hands lifted high, with clapping of praise, with, with rejoicing, with smiles on your faces, praising God, tears, sometimes even, well, I'm, maybe I'm the only one crying, but uh, like, no, like, this is good. This is what the church should be doing together is praising the name of the Lord as the family that we are. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Uh, that might throw you off a little bit. We've been in Ephesians. I tried to give you a heads up last week, but some of you may not have been here. So we've been in the book of Ephesians. And so this week, we are going to conclude the series on Ephesians by looking at another letter that was written to the church at Ephesus, and it is found in the book of Revelation. While you're turning there, uh, this is like a giant warning sign for us, okay? I feel like uh, it, it made me think of like those old uh, Looney Tunes cartoons. Y'all remember those? Anybody? Anybody remember those? Uh, maybe, maybe it's one of those characters who is, uh, you know, when they would look at the, the camera, so to speak, and like talk to the camera, like talking to you in your living room, and they would be interacting, but they would be walking past behind them like a danger sign, right? And, but they would still be talking to you, and you as a child, you'd be like, hey, watch out, right? You should be watching where you're going, and, and this, this warning sign over and over behind them, they're just talking to the camera, and, and it sign, don't go this way. They're still just talking, warning, painted on the sign, detour, road ends, there's a cliff, you will fall to your death. Like all of these, all the while, the character is just looking right at you and talking, and then, sure enough, someone like Wiley Coyote just falls off the end right? They, they ignored all of the warning signs that were plastered all in front of them. Y'all can imagine that scene with me? That's what this text is. You see, this text is that kind of warning to us that, that, that there is, you're, you're just walking along, making your way through this Christian life, kind of going on business as usual. You've been hearing the book of Ephesians. And for many of you, if you grew up in church, you heard sermons from Ephesians before. You've been in life group or Sunday school class. You've probably studied the armor of God in much more detail than we did in one week. But the, the church is just like walking along all the while Scripture is like this giant warning sign telling us that if you don't look out, if you don't fix your eyes, if you don't focus your attention appropriately in the right place, then doom is coming. So, 
Are you ready for the text then? With that kind of understanding, let's go to the book of Revelation in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As we walk through this text, we're going to kind of try to understand a little bit more of what was taking place, what is being written about, try to get little glimpses along the way, and hopefully we will see more clearly a warning that we will actually heed that warning, right? That we won't just walk past it, ignore it, and find ourselves in the same place Ephesus is today. Ephesus is a real place, right? So, so we think of this. Uh, we'll start with an understanding of the church. So as we think about the church, we are thinking about the church at Ephesus. If you remember, I, I talked about this the, the very first week in thinking about Ephesians and the church there, and that this letter, this letter, uh, not the one we're reading right now, but the one we studied over the last several weeks, is this letter uh, that was probably uh, a letter that went in circulation, so that it was written to a church in Ephesus, but because of the prominence of the city of Ephesus, it would have gone to many other churches in the surrounding towns and areas. Uh, so kind of think like the, the original letter might have been written to like the city of Jackson, but then uh, it was in circulation to Ridgeland and to Madison and Brandon and Canton and all of the surrounding areas. Does that make sense? This is yes. This is no. Okay, good, good. Okay, so, so we have this now, same Ephesus. The, the letter is written to the, to the angel or to the messenger of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus did. It had this profound impact in prominent cities. Ephesus was uh, probably the most important city in all of Asia Minor, and like so much so that the Roman governor lived there. So that was like the residence of the Roman governor. And uh, it's hard to know, but anywhere from 250 to 500,000 people. I mean, this is massive for the time, certainly massive city. Uh, and, and filled, like think, I don't know how to, how to fill it up even more, but 
in your mind, filled with significant false gods, idol worship, uh, and incredibly large crowds from around the known world would have gathered together at different times to, to worship false gods even intentionally. So this, this impact was, was found not just in this city, but then in all of those surrounding cities. But we also know that Ephesus had this profound, uh, had been profoundly impacted by prominent leaders. Think about in the church, right? Even specifically, we think about uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Acts chapter 18. This is, this is where Priscilla and Aquila, they came to Ephesus, it says, and they left them there. We have Apollos, who was there, also in Acts 18. First Timothy, we hear that, that Timothy was told to remain at Ephesus. Paul tells him that. Again, in 2 Timothy, we find that Tychicus, we talked about him at the end of the last letter, and now in 2 Timothy, he was sent to Ephesus. So, so all of these, these are people, maybe, maybe not Tychicus that we would know so well, but, but these prominent leaders, right, uh, men and women, leaders of the early church would have been known so much and, and went there, served there, and like invested their time and energy in this place. So, so the church is, is surrounded by both prominence uh, in the city, like government-wise, and is also surrounded by prominent church leaders, those who have invested well. Let's, let's consider then not just the church, but also the Christ. Look at how, uh, how he is described in this first verse. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now you might hear that and not find much information at all. Like, kind of whip-de-doo, there's someone who holds seven stars in his hand and holds this, walks among the seven golden lampstands. What, why is that even important? I would tell you that this, this is one of those that um, it, it's good for you to underline scripture if, if you're uh, a fan, and fan of that. This is one of those to underline. Underline that the seven stars, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This idea of him holding seven stars in his right hand is, should be comforting to you. You see, God is comforting in that he is sovereign. He's in control. His display of being able to hold stars in his hand. I don't, I don't know that we fully fathom how significant or how big a deal that is. But I want you to try to hold a star. Anybody? Anybody good at that? No, we can't hold any stars in our hands. And so what is being described here is, is one who can't just hold a star. When, when it's using this number seven, we know this number seven, right, is, is a number of completion, this idea. It's like I hold it all, the one who holds it all in his hands. 
This isn't just like a, a nursery rhyme that we teach at children's Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. This is saying Jesus has got it all in his hands. What does he mean by that? It means he's in complete control. And, I, and I'll just remind you that when you feel chaotic and when you feel completely out of, like, um, out of control, isn't it good to know that God hasn't lost it? That God didn't let things slip through his fingers? You know that idea of like when you drop the ball? He didn't drop a star. Like that's, that's what this is communicating, that, that you don't have to do it on your own. In fact, you can't do it on your own. This reminder is, is this comforting assurance of the sovereignty of God. And when everything else in your world whether it's school or work or marriage or relationship or Thanksgiving dinner that you are paranoid about right now, <laughs> right? like what's going to fall through the cracks? What's going to be messed up? Or what am I not going to do right? Isn't it good to know that our God is in complete control? He holds the seven stars he says, so we haven't even gotten to what he tells them. To, like, just tell them that at this point, just tell them that this is the one who's speaking. So whatever comes, right, you should know that the one who is doing that is going to be the one who speaks the rest of the words. So this is comforting for them. It should be comforting for us. It should also be a reminder that he is comforting and he is present. This is that he walks among the seven golden lampstands that he's actually there. You see, his availability is relieving to us. I, I feel as though this is one of the realities that has become more and more significant in my life over the last decade or so. It's this reminder that how, how much we need his presence how significant the, the presence of God is in our life. When, when we are children, we are, we're given that calm assurance of the presence of God. In fact, we know what it, how good it feels to have uh, the presence of someone with us, right? When our, our children are scared at night, they, they come to our room. They want a hug or they want us to just sit with them until they go to sleep. I have four kids. I think you know that. I have four kids. and um, we, Just bringing home uh, Zeke uh, about six or seven months ago now. And uh, we had to kind of restart a bedtime routine. You know, we'd gotten to the point where like you just pray and hug and say goodnight. And then they turn the lights out and they do all of that. So the older three are that way. But with Zeke... Um, he's still at that spot where he kind of needs us to sit with him for just a minute, just to know like, hey, we're here, it's okay. And, and by the way, there's no complaining here. We're not, we're not frustrated by that. We're not disappointed that, that he wants to know that we're there. No, we're, we're happy to give him our presence. We're, we're delighted to let him know, hey, like, just go to sleep. It's okay, mom and dad are here, right? That makes sense. Like, you, you remember that? As parent, parents, y'all remember when, like, you just, hey, you'll just let them know, hey, we're here. 
No, there's nothing else the matter. I'm here. That's, that's what's being described here. It's the one who walks among the lampstands. He's saying he's here. And by the way, when you go and do the things you think you're going to try to do, so let's, let's go make disciples of all nations, well, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When, when you're trying to make it through lives of persecution and turmoil and strife, again, I, I know this is going like, like, I'm not asking you to remember everything I've ever said in a sermon, but if you go all the way back to when I preached through Revelation, and I told you that, that the group of people that, that still to this day find the greatest hope in an encouragement are the persecuted church when they read Revelation. Right? The church that's literally being beaten, battered, bruised, torn from their families, not allowed to, they're in prison, separated from the ones that they love. And, and guess what they're hearing? God is with you. So I don't know, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if Thanksgiving is going to be extra hard for you because there's somebody who's not going to be at the dinner table with you. I, I don't know what that's going to be like. But I need you to hear this today. The Lord is walking among you. As a child of God, as a follower of Christ, you get his presence. So rest in his presence. That's just about the Christ. So let's look to the commendation. What then does he say? So, so remember, this tells us this is the church at Ephesus. So to the church there, I want you to, to say this from Jesus, from the comforting presence of Jesus. Then he says this in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. I mean, this is like a round of applause from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. Hey, I know your good works. Here's what he says, you worked hard. They worked hard. This is how it's described. I know your works, your toil patient endurance. And this is, this could often be said of us, right? We're hardworking people. Mississippi folks know how to work, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is who we are. Y'all, like, uh, the church is hardworking people. I know this, or at least you're lying to me, right? Like, you, you tell me you work hard. Work is busy. Life is busy. Schoolwork, like I, I hear of students here that are studying diligently. Like I, I know that, that this is happening. And so I, I can imagine that, that when we, like if, if Jesus were speaking to us, he would say, I, I know your work. I know how many of you are giving those extra volunteer hours at, at school, uh, like loving the community. I know those of you who are giving those extra hours to prepare for a life group lesson or to, to gather up things, to give, to serve, to provide in a variety of ways. You worked hard. You are a hardworking church. He also says that they've endured trials. I, I know that you've gone through hard things, 
patient endurance. I mean, the, the, the believers were refusing to bow their knee. You can look in history and even specifically refusing to bow their knee to a, a false god, goddess named Diana. False god, even, even uh, rejecting worshiping of the emperor. They were being maligned and slandered, boycotted, abused. Like their, their businesses, people wouldn't go to them anymore. And yet they endured. They were bearing up these burdens. Scripture says here that they refused evil. They looked at things that they knew were wrong and rejected them. I hope this would be said of us, right? That we, we as a church refuse evil, that we look at opportunities to do that which is wrong and we say no to it. That's what we talked about with even taking up the armor of God, right? We want to look at the things that are evil and say no. And we want to flee sexual immorality. We want to flee sin. That we want to flee gossip. That we want to flee gluttony. Yeah, I said that on the week of Thanksgiving, right? That we want to flee all of these sinful things, right? We don't want to just look at them and then pursue them. We want to look at them and reject them. This is what they were doing now. Again, so far, all of this sounds so right. In fact, it goes on to say that they hated falsehood. I mean, I know this could be said of us. Now, there are different, uh, if you, you skip down here to verse 6, when it says, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. There's different scholarly thoughts. I'm not going to try to go into all of who the Nicolaitans may have been. But what we know is that they were following and teaching some sort of falsehood, and therefore the church, the church should have opposed them. Right? Hugh you hate their works, and Jesus says, I also hate their works. So, like, good job on not following the Nicolaitans, whoever they are. Like, notice that all of these I put in this category of a commendation, like a, an applause, a celebration, a good job, pat on the back. These are good things, things to be celebrated. But there's something else. There's a criticism that's about to come. You ever, ever uh, been given that tip as an employer? You know, like, give a, give, a, give a good job before you say, here's what I want you to fix. Maybe sandwich it with another, hey, but you're doing okay in this? Feels like that's a little bit what happened. Look at verse 4. And again, this is worth underlining or circling, putting brackets around. <clears throat> he says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Other translations we, we think of forsaking your first love. The prognosis here is of duty-oriented obedience. Here's what you've been doing. You've been doing all of those things, but you haven't been, you've abandoned love. You've, you've abandoned the love you had at first. You're, I mean, again, pretty strong list. 
You're hardworking, suffering for the, with, with good intent. You're, you're refusing evil. You're hating wrong, hating falsehood. Good job. You just don't love. You're doing all of that out of duty. Like task, like you're a, you're just, this is the age old checking off the box. But having no compassion or concern or drive, love. I, I have described this this way before and so I will try to do it again, but I, I imagine this like uh, my relationship with my wife. Let's say that on December 11th, which is our wedding anniversary, I do know that, uh, on December 11th that Gloria comes home and uh, I have a dozen roses for her and she says, well, thank you so much for the flowers. And I say, oh, I have to, it's our anniversary. Yeah, I see the smirks already. No one thinks that that is a good response. Everybody thinks that's a bad idea, right? Oh, I, I have to because it's our anniversary. This is my, my checking off the box. I'm just doing this, this task, fulfilling this duty for you. It's duty-oriented obedience. I'm just doing the thing. But what what. Christ is calling for is the hope of delight-filled submission. See, that's going to look very different, right? When I, when I come home on a day that's not December 11th, there's nothing special about it at all. I come home instead, not with red roses, but instead with uh, her favorite candy bar. Because Gloria doesn't really care about Roses, and I know that they're, they're going to die, so she's not real interested in them. But but she is more interested in, hey, if I bring her home a Coke Zero in a can that's cold, she's happy. And I bring that home on a day that has no significance whatsoever, and she says, oh, thank you for thinking of me. And, and I, I just say, oh, it's just because I love you and I, I want to serve you and I, I was thinking about you throughout the day, right? Like nothing special, nothing over the top, just a, like a delight in her. I, I want to serve her in that way. Of course, there's smiles around the room right now and some of you are, are thinking, does my wife like Coke Zero? Uh, I don't know that answer, okay? You have to find that out. But, but here's the thing, like that's what we want to do, right? We want to, out of delight, out of joy in Gloria, I want to, to serve her in that way. And so in the same way, in our delight, our overflow with the presence, the, how overjoyed we are with the presence and the comfort found in Christ, we want to say, I, I want to give you a Coke Zero, God. Whatever that Coke Zero is, right? Like, whatever that is, it's not out of, oh, I'm checking a box because I have to serve you. I'm, I'm checking a box because I have to refuse evil. I'm checking a box because I hate the Nicolaitans' falsehood. I, I'm working hard because I'm checking a box. No, God, I, I want to do all of these things because I love you. I, I adore 
your presence. I, I gather with the people of God, not because it's a Sunday morning and I have to. I gather with the people of God because this is what family does. I, I sing the songs with, with joy in my heart because this is what we do as followers of Christ. And so this, this prognosis is pretty harsh, right? This is where the warning signs are, are like popping up all over the place. Warning, cliff ahead, like falling to your doom. If you continue in duty-filled, duty-oriented obedience, then you will miss what real Christianity is all about. And if you miss that, then you've missed it all. And so he gives a command. He's going to say, like, so here's what I want you to do. The, the command. In verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So, he, he starts with this idea of remembering. Remember the habits of the past, he says. I want you to quickly, I've got to do this faster than I'm going, sorry. I want you to think about the study of Ephesians that we just went through. So, so you can even think this has already been written to this very same people. They've already studied, already known. And so here's what it, I, I want you to know the gospel. I want you to share the gospel. I want you to unite with other believers. Unity found in the book of Ephesians. I want you to speak truth, Ephesians 4.29. I want you to imitate God, Ephesians 5.1. I want you to sacrifice for your family, Ephesians 5.22 through 29. I, wanna, uh, I want you to submit your life to Christ. I want you to wage war against the enemy, Ephesians 6. Like over and over and over, all of this, so that the gospel can be on display. Like, right? We want to unite with other believers. Why? So that the gospel will be on display. We want to speak truth. Why? So that the gospel will be on display. We want to imitate God. Why? So the gospel will be on display. We want to sacrifice for your family. Why? So the gospel will be on display. We want to, like, pursue spiritual warfare, live as though life really is war. Why? So the gospel will be on display. Remember the truths that the habits of the past. Remember what you were taught, what you were, like, remember what you know. Church, Colonial Heights, remember what you know to be true. And then he tells them to repent from the sins of the present. Acknowledge your own sin. Repent. Stop doing what you once did. Remember that, that all of that stuff I just mentioned, that's where you've fallen from. So repent of what you've fallen from, away from, right? And start doing those things again. We're about to take the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And when we do that, I hope that you would come to the Lord's table with confessed heart, clean heart. But this, this takes... Repentance, asking God to cleanse you. Finally, in this command, he tells them to recapture the behaviors for the future. If you're wondering how this went for the church at Ephesus, 
pretty terrible. Sadly, Ephesus is now what we would call modern-day Turkey. On the Stratus Index, Turkey is number 25, meaning one of the most difficult places to reach in the world. There are 59 million Turks in Turkey, and there are no evangelicals. There's 0.01% that would consider themselves Christian. There's another 15 million Kurds in Turkey. No believers. At least, like, research, right? Can you see how this could be us? In not too long. Can you see how we're just generations away from being Turkey? So the council, the council that's given, go to verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. He, t- he tells us two things in this. We can be victorious over sin. To the one who conquers, Christ has conquered the grave. Amen? We believe that. You know how I know we believe that? Because we say, we confidently say that we are not going to spend eternity in hell. We're going to spend eternity with Christ. We're going to be alive with Christ. So we believe that. We believe that at our funerals. We believe that when at our friend and our family's funerals. We talk about that, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered hell. We don't have to go to hell. We believe that to be true. But did you know that Jesus, in his death on the cross, he conquered sin? And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin because if the Son has set you free, ladies and gentlemen, you are free indeed. You're free. You're no longer shackled fettered, stuck, chained to sin. No, you are set free from this sin. You can be victorious over sin and you can be joyful in his presence. So enjoy his presence now, looking forward to the day that his presence will be forever. This is the counsel given. Enjoy this gift. Cherish this. I want to conclude not just this sermon, but this sermon series with a reminder of the communion. You see, because we are given such grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we come to this communion table with remembrance 
end with joy. Right? We're told, do this in remembrance of me. And I, I, I wonder if the church at Ephesus like stopped looking back, stopped heeding the warning signs. Maybe that is what needs to take place in your life. Maybe, maybe right now, before you even come to the table, you need to ask of the Lord, what, what is it that I need to repent of? What is it that I need to, to see in my life? What box am I just checking instead of loving you like I ought? What part of me is just going through the motions? I need to reject that so that we're not a generation away or two away from being so separated from God, from there being no church. But instead, instead that we would come to this table with, with a, a remembrance of what Christ has done for us, conquering death and hell and the grave and sin so that we can take this bread and drink from this cup with joy that he has conquered sin for you. If you are not one who has trusted in Jesus, then this table is not yet for you. I would encourage you, in fact, as, as these trays pass by, just to to maybe look at the bread and the cup as it passes, but to, to pass it on, knowing that you haven't experienced the, the joy and completion found in Christ. I certainly would invite you to receive that, receive that gift, to call upon him for salvation, but if you haven't done that yet, just to let that tray pass. Maybe for some of you, you are followers of Christ, but for you, there's something you're holding on to still. And although you're hearing that and you're being convicted, maybe even by the Holy Spirit right now, you, you haven't released that yet, I would, I would urge you to not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, as Paul warns, but instead to, to let that tray pass. Uh, a couple practical pieces about the Lord's Supper today. When, when it passes by, I want to encourage you to, to, there will be two cups. You take both. Uh, the bottom cup has bread in it and the top with the juice. And so you'll, you'll take both cups out at the same time. And some, there's just a few, so, so guard this. But uh, if you have a, a gluten allergy, there's some purple cups. And those purple cups are gluten-free bread. And so uh, that's available to you. Even, even this morning was encouraged that, that that allowed somebody uh, recently to take the Lord's Supper the, for the first time in, in over a decade because that was uh, given. So, so we want that to be available for you and uh, that, that you don't miss out on this remembering and this celebration. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you to, to just continue considering these things. And then once I close in prayer, I'll have the deacons come forward that we can pass those elements out. Let's pray together. Father God, you are glorious. 
And the gift of your son, Jesus, is, well, it's certainly more than we deserve. He is perfect. And God, we, we want to hear these warning signs today. We want to ask you to, to bring to our mind sins we ought to confess. We want to ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to ask you to help us love you like you deserve to be loved. Love your presence and love your, your comfort, your sovereignty. Not just do work for the sake of doing work, but for the sake of loving you. Help us in this. God, as we take and observe uh, the Lord's Supper, may it be a time of rejoicing and a time of remembering. So we, we pray this. In your son's name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Deacons would come at this time.
Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. took a cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would you stand with me as we respond? Christ, Christ crucified. He is a gift for us. So let us rejoice in him. <clears throat>